Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 286 of the Ask the Coach Show, where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. Today's show focuses on serving. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, I'm joined by Super Coach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, yes, serving is always an interesting topic, and um, and we'll get into that a little later. Yeah, part of the building blocks of the game, Alois. But first up. Straight to the famous On This Day segment. Ah, exactly. It's what people were waiting for. Um, So, on this day, actually on tomorrow's this day, so on the 12th of July, it is Liam Pitchford's birthday. Mm. So, uh, Liam will be 24 this year. So, uh, a young British player. And I suppose most famously... um, took them to um, a bronze medal at the World Teams Championships in 2016 in Kuala Lumpur. Oh, and what a performance that was from the English team, uh, that championship. Yeah, it certainly was, yeah. So a really impressive result um, for the uh, for the English to to get a medal at the World Championships. It's, uh, it's been, it was a long time and Liam uh, was certainly instrumental in uh, in gaining them that uh, world championship medal and also another another yeah i know but this was from a few days ago um hina hayata from japan um youngest ever world championship doubles medalist with mima ito um last year at the uh, world championship or this year at the world championship so uh, so congratulations to hina hayata and she is just turning 17. Can you believe that? And already a world championships medalist. So she was born in 1990 what? No, no, not 1990 at all, Jeff. She was born in the year 2000. I mean, people can't be born in the 2000s and winning world championship medalists. <laughs> medals. What's going well, on? That's what's happening in the world nowadays. Yes, certainly they're not born in the in the 70s, Jeff, like some, some of us next next to me. Oh, dear. Yeah. We're getting old, Alois. That's right. Yes, but well done, uh, yeah, Tahina Hayata. Yes. And Mimito. And, uh, and Mimito. And, uh, and happy birthday for tomorrow to Liam Pitchford. Yes, happy birthday, Liam. There you go. All right. And, and now, Jeff, can we get on to, uh, you know, the, the next exciting part of uh, the Ask the Coach show, the joke of the week? Have you got a good one for us this week? I've always got a good one. As I said, Jeff, have you got a good one for us this week? <laughs> All right. Why didn't the dinosaur cross the road? Why didn't the dinosaur cross? I don't know, Jeff. Why didn't the dinosaur cross the road? They didn't have roads back then. <laughs> yes, another good one. <laughs> Top-notch joke. Just, yep, take it, tell all your friends, they will be in stitches. Do they need to uh, credit you with the joke, Jeff, when <laughs> no, you're telling no. their friends? No, 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 just, just, just tell them it's a funny one. <laughs> oh. uh, now, as I said, Alois, serving is a really critical part of um, table tennis, so the tip of the week is... To focus on your serving, because it is the most important stroke of the game. So often when we think of strokes, we you know think about learning forehands and backhands and pushing and top spins and those sort of things. But if you have a think about it, the serve is actually the, the, the stroke that you um, execute in every um, two points that you play. So... And it's, and it's a critical part of the game. So whether you're serving or whether your opponent's serving, 
it's it's absolutely critical to the result of the of each point. Yeah, yeah, it's a great tip. And um, so, what what are some ways people can focus on it? Because I guess if you go down and train, it's easy just to hit forehand to forehand and backhand to backhand. But how do, how do you make your server focus? Yeah, so uh, we might just move on to the drill of the week then, Jeff. Because awesome, let's do the drill of the week. <laughs> Because the drill of the week is some serving practice. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and I think yeah, it is important to examine how you actually practice your serve because a lot of people just feel like, okay, if I play some games, I'll improve my serving. That is one way, but I think that it's really important to go back a step. Get yourself a, a box of balls. Now, you don't need to have 500 table tennis balls to practice your serving. If you've got 10 or 20 balls... Um, then you can start to do some really good service practice. So get out there, grab a, grab a bag of balls and practice a serve. Now, as to what serves your practice, that's where the variation can come in. So you can start by practicing you know, a serve, start by practicing your favourite serve and do it for um, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, see how long you can last and keep your focus. But then you can also start to move on and practice different serves. So practice a serve that you use less frequently in a match. Um, And then, as another way of practicing your serve, is to make sure that you um, vary your serve. So in a match situation, you don't necessarily do the same serve each time. So it's good to be able to practice variations of that serve. So you can practice where you're serving it to. So the placement, you can practice the type of spin that you're serving on that same serve. So say say you're doing the tomahawk serve, you can practice uh, doing the tomahawk serve to the forehand, to the backhand, with topspin, with sidespin, with backspin, um, and short and long. Um, But then another extension of your serving practice is to then start to think about how you move both before and after your serve. So you can think about making sure that before you serve, that you don't just grab another ball out of the bucket and serve, 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 that you go and pick up the ball. So you have the bucket of balls at the at the back of the court, go and pick up the ball, walk back to the table, um, get yourself set up and then do your serve because that's getting closer again to a game-like situation and you're practicing your serve but also the, just those few seconds before as a pre-point uh, routine for your serve. The further extension that you can then do with your serve is to then, just after you serve, even if there's no one at the other end, just jump into position and get ready to play the next ball as well. Yeah, yeah, great tips there, Alois. And um, some people seem to really like serving practice um, and they just, just do it a lot and they enjoy it. And then some people kind of find it a chore and I guess... If, if you do struggle with that, there's a lot of ways you can try and uh, make it more interesting. Um, and I guess just what you've talked about, varying it and having a bit of a process will help with that initially as well. But I guess you can even um, add some targets or add some challenges. There's, there's always ways you can, um, you know, make that service practice more interesting. Yeah, and I think just even um, starting to think about some goals for your service practice session. So, you know, think about uh, what you're trying to achieve with that um, with that service practice, you know, is it, um, you're trying to improve your placement. Okay. Then, you know, then you work on an area or it might be that you're trying to improve, um, the amount of spin that you're getting on the serve, or it might be that you're trying to improve, um, 
the, your variation or your deception with your service. So have a real goal that you're trying to achieve during that service practice session. Don't just go down there and oh, I'm just going to practice my service for 20 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes yeah. because you'll soon lose focus on what you're doing. Absolutely. All right. So people this week, get out there and practice your serving. Okay, now it is time for the tournament wrap. And Alois, we recently had the one of the best fields we've ever seen at the Australian Open. And uh, you were up there for some commentary and some interviewing. Yeah, so yeah, that was a really exciting experience for me. I, um, the Australian Open was up in the Gold Coast. Um, and I got a chance to do a little bit of commentary on some quarterfinals matches, but then also um, doing some announcements and then um, some on-court interviews with uh, the players. And probably for me, the highlight of the tournament was getting to interview uh, Vladimir Samsonov and getting to meet him. Um, Samsonov, one of my idols um, all the way through. Um, so Samsonov's 41 years old now um, and still performing at an extremely high level. Um, but... I suppose the most outstanding part of meeting Samsonov was just how humble and um, and quiet uh, and modest um, he really is. So it's not it's not a show. Um, he that's that's really him. He um, you know very very humble sort of character. Uh, so yeah, so real highlight for me to to actually meet Samsonov and uh, get get to uh, get to interview him. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, and what a tournament. I mean. Um, it was interesting, though, Alice, because the the Chinese were slated to come out here but uh, had to withdraw, so that was a bit of controversy before it started. Yeah, it certainly was. So, yeah, the Chinese uh, men's team were, were entered in the competition but were withdrawn by the Chinese Association. Um, but uh, I think that just opened up the field for the rest of the players, and it, in some ways it made it a more interesting tournament. I mean, I would have loved to have seen, um, you know, um, Zhang Zike and Zhu Xin and Fan Zendong, um, who were entered, um, but uh, but it did open up the tournament and it really uh, it gave a bit of incentive to the rest of the men's field. We did see the women's uh, players out here, the women's uh, Chinese national team players yes. out here, which was which was also fantastic to see. Certainly, and yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, tell us about the uh, the men's singles. Yeah, so the men's singles. Um, well, it it was um, Samsonov. Um, all the way, really, in the end. And, um, you know, before the tournament, he, he said in his press interview that um, that he didn't think he could win the tournament. You know, there were just too many good players in the field. Um, but uh, as the tournament progressed, you know, he, he really came through and, and he looked like the best player in the field, um, certainly the most experienced. Um, and he ended up taking the men's singles um, from Simone Gauzy from, uh, from France, um, another surprise finalist, but... Um, but yeah, it was great. Great to see uh, Samsonov and Gauzy in the in the final. Um, Jun Mizutani ended up losing to Cho Sung Min from Korea in the quarterfinals. Um, so uh, Mizutani was the number one seed. Uh, Chuang Chi Yuan lost first round to uh, Masaki Yoshida from uh, Japan, four two, um, and. Uh, uh, Koki Niwa lost first round to Tristan Floor from uh, from France as well. Um, so, you know, a few upsets really early, um, especially for the Japanese team. Mm. Um, so the Japanese team, you know, we've, we've been really talking them up a lot um, in the last year or so because they've really started to push through and, and come through as a group. But um, 
Yeah, not a, not a great tournament for the Japanese uh, players, both men and women at this tournament. Um, and it's one they would have wanted to do well at. I mean, it's just been upgraded, the Australian Open, to the Platinum, is it called now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and you know, Japan not that far from Australia. You think that, that was a tournament they would have really liked to do well at? Yeah, the, the, thing, the thing that a uh, few of the Japanese players talked about was just the... Um, the high workload that they've had over the last month or so. So mm. they've had a lot... Of, they had the World Championships and then a couple of uh, big World Tour events. Um, and so, to me, they almost looked a little bit tired. Uh, yep. I did get to see uh, Harimoto as well. Harimoto played. Um, but uh, same same with Harimoto. Lost in the first round to uh, Lim, Jung, Lim Jong-hoon from Korea. And uh, Lim actually looked better than uh, Harry Moto. Harry Moto just did not get into the match at all. Uh, Lim was just um, just overpowered him, 6-3, and 6. Um, Lim, you know, no, no mug with a bat, you know, just great forehand, gets around, um, uses his forehand unbelievably well, and just overpowered Harry Moto. But uh, again, good to see Harry Moto. And just, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but um, good to see him around the dining hall and around the hall. And again, good to see just how humble a character he looked to be. Um, you know, no pretenses, uh, very respectful of everyone. Um, you know, uh, even in the dining hall, you know, not rushing forward, you know, letting other people go in front of him and things like that. So, so uh, yeah, a lot to be said for the young man. Yeah, so, all right, so, yeah, well done to Samsonov. Um, what a performance, and just adding to his uh, tally of um, of titles. Very impressive. Yes, exactly. And um, and the women's singles was uh, a bit of a Chinese uh, domination, as we expected, um, with uh, Chen Meng um, winning the final from Wang Man Yu. Now, Wang Man Yu was the, um, was the surprise packet for me. Um, she's just 18 years of age um, and looked a very, very impressive character. Um, she's quite a tall girl. She um, She's won two world junior titles, um, so came in with, uh, you know, with good credentials, but, gee, she looked good. Um, she um, ended up beating um, Chen Jintong, another young player, a 20-year-old from China in the quarterfinals, but then uh, knocked off Zhu Yuling in the semi-final, um, four nil, eight seven, four and four, and looked sensational. So Zhu Yuling is, um, you know, very highly rated um, player. Um, so to be able to get over the top of Zhu Yuling in um, in such a big event uh, was uh, says a lot, you know. And she really looks like a winner too, you know. I mean, to um, to win two World Junior titles, you have to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, so she looks really confident in her ability, and um, her play backs that up too. So, yeah, so great, great table tennis, um, incredible speed that we see from the women's players, uh, and uh, yeah, really good to see. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so overall, great tournament, Alois. Yeah, great tournament, and um, yeah, was lucky enough to be a little bit, little bit of a part of it. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to uh, to getting uh, and seeing as much as I can. Uh, over the next few years with uh, with these world tours and you know and it's so easy nowadays to just get onto the ITTV and and watch the best players in the world uh, playing yep know, yeah, do it yeah absolutely get on there ITTV must watch 
All right, Alois. Um, now it is time for the questions. Have you, have you got your, your thinking cap on? I have. You got, you got some good curly ones for me? I, I do, I do. Good. Um, first up, Alois, is one from Ken. He says, Yesterday I encountered a person who served the ball with a lot of fake movements. How do you see through their fake movements? So if you just talk a bit about what fake movements are and then how to deal with that, Alice. Yeah, so fake movements are... So when you're serving, if you just come through in the one stroke um, and contact the ball and follow through, um, it's, it's, um, it's one plane or one, uh, one direction with your bat. So the fake movements, what you might do is you might, um, you know, give your bat a bit of a wiggle before and a, uh, the contact and a little bit of a wiggle after and, and trying to disguise the type of spin that's on the ball. So, um, so Ken, the important part is that you really hone in and focus on the actual contact of the bat on the ball. That's the critical part. That gives you the information that you need. So um, all the... St- all the flowery movements before and after are, are irrelevant. Remember, your opponent can only serve the ball with one spin, and that spin is generated when they contact the bat on the ball. So that's the important part that you need to to be able to tune into and just really look carefully at that um, at that contact point. And then the other the other thing that's going to give you good information is just the flight of the ball after after they contact it. So focus. Really hone in on the contact and then the flight of the ball and try to get rid of um, all the other flowery um, uh, parts of the serve that uh, that are just there to design to put you off. Yeah, yeah, good tips, Alois. Um, and I guess people say that, you know, you get better with experience, but it's helpful to know that you, you just need to... That contact is the bit to watch because if you focus on that and then the flight of the ball, then that does help build up your your understanding about how the ball's moving and you'll you'll start returning better. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. All right, hopefully that helps you out, Ken. All right, next up is a question from Pasquale, who says, I've noticed that when I play in tournaments that are in other places that I'm not normally at, the speed of the bounce of the ball changes due to the density density of the air and the atmospheric pressure for example where i play a shot um where it's hot the ball bounces fast and the brushing contact feels normal and he says probably because i'm used to it but when i travel to san jose and play there where it's cold the bounce of the ball is slower and the brushing contact feels different so many people tell me it's normal and you just have to get used to it and so what is your advice alloys um, about keeping the same level of consistency and the same performance for your game when you go into different venues. Yeah, so it, it is um, it is different and it does take some getting used to. Um, the more you do it, the better it gets and the easier it gets. But I think um, a couple of things. The first thing is if you're in that situation... When you get to a tournament, try to hit as much as you can. So, so spend as much time on the table as you can. So you're allowing yourself to adjust to the different um, speed um, of the table and the, and the different flight through the air because of different atmospheric pressure. Um, it's only subtle, but it does make a difference. And if you don't adjust to it, then, uh, then it does make it difficult. So, for example, at the Australian Open um, uh, that was held recently... They, they're using the new um, D40 uh, plus balls, which are quite rough on the outside. Mm. Um, 
the tables were quite rough and um, and uh, as well. So the ball was really stopping um, on the table. So these these international players, I mean, it's not conditions that they would see every day, but they can adjust by just getting out there and playing playing on them for half an hour, an hour, you know, play a few matches and then suddenly they're into it and, and they're used to it um, because they've, they've done enough of adjusting. So the second part of this is that in your training, try to alter things a little bit. So often in training, we get pretty precious about our training um, conditions um, and, you know, everything needs to be perfect and needs to be right. Sometimes train with different balls in, in the bag. You know, don't, um, don't always have perfect table tennis balls in the bag. Train with some balls that are a little bit softer, a little bit harder, um, so that you're starting to adjust quicker and you start to be able to, um, to, uh, to move with what's happening rather than being really set in your ways. So, so the more times you can put yourself into um, different situations, the easier it is to adjust. If you're always training in the same way in the same same conditions, then it when you get to a tournament, it becomes completely different and it uh, and becomes harder to adjust. Mm, yeah, great advice. Um, yeah, and it's something everyone faces, so don't feel you're alone here. Um, and, and and like we said, go and enter a lot of tournaments. Then you'll get um, the chance to play at different places and get the chance to adjust and grow. And um, yeah. So, um, yeah, great question, Pasquale. And uh, I think a lot of people will benefit from that answer, Alois. All right, next up is a question from Marson, who says, what are the disadvantages of playing close to the table? When I think of one, it might be that the elbow region is getting quite vulnerable and that the ball is rarely hit in the optimal highest point of the arc because you're, if you're close, you mostly get it while it's rising. And you go, is that the main reason why attacking players go back? And he goes, also, it's easy to go really low a step back from the table. But the argument of having more time is more of the defensive nature. So please give me some explanation why attacking players frequently step back. Yeah, so um, a couple of things. If you, if you can stay close to the table, um, then you're giving your opponent less time. Um, mm. But the trade-off is that by being close, it gives you less time to play a full stroke. So that's why a lot of attacking players that have big strokes will take half a step back or a step back away from the table so that they've got time to execute their full um, range of movement with their with their attacking strokes. Um, if you have a look at you know, the Marlong, we always come back to Marlong because he's the best at the moment. If you have a look at how big Marlong's strokes are, they're huge, you know, and to to be able to get through that full stroke is difficult if you're standing really close to the table and taking the ball as it's coming up off the table. Um, it's amazing how fast they actually do um, move anyway and how close they are to the table. But, um, yeah, but, but by taking half a step back, you just give yourself a fraction more time to be able to play a full stroke when you're, when you're a big attacking player. Yeah, and I guess... If you look at the backhand, often that's a more compact stroke. So you often do see players play that a bit closer. And then when they get a chance to play a forehand, they do seem to be just a little bit further back for, for those reasons. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, they'll, they'll move in for the backhand, move out slightly for the forehand. Um, yeah. But, um, but, you know, I suppose in general, the closer you are or the closer that you can stay to the table the better because you're giving your opponent less time as long as you're giving yourself enough time to play 
the stroke that you're looking to play. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. And so then you just need to tailor that for yourself. If you find your rush there or don't get time to play the full stroke, you like maybe you need to come back a bit further. But, you know, maybe it's worth experimenting a bit against uh, different opponents, maybe in some practice games, just playing at different lengths. Like try just playing half a step closer than you normally would and see, you know, what the impact is. And then if you are close to that, maybe try just half a step back and see... See what difference that makes to your game. I guess by doing that, you'll get some good ideas about what works best for you. Great question, Marson. All right, next up is a question from Roy, and this is a tricky question, Alloys. He says, in a table tennis game with no umpire, if your opponent serves an illegal boy, uh, an illegal ball, not an illegal boy, <laughs> if they serve an illegal ball, say, out of the hand, should you call a fault before giving the loved one score? Okay, really tricky one, this one, Roy. So all the rules in table tennis are obviously designed around having an umpire. So the umpire um, is put in charge of calling the, um, calling the faults, calling the scores, all those sorts of things. If it's a clear... Situation. So, if they serve it into the net um, and it doesn't go back on, it doesn't go over the net. That's a clear fault. Um, and yes, then you then you say fault, love one. So, if you're talking about just the the actual call that you need to make, yes. So, the initial call is fault, and then you announce the score. As far as actually calling them for the fault when it's a marginal situation. So if they haven't thrown the ball up high enough, um, for example, or if they're hiding the serve, that's a, that's really tricky when you haven't got an umpire. And for me, it's probably more about negotiation here. It's about you know uh, putting your hand up or even at the end of the point, just talking to your opponent and saying, um, I couldn't see that serve um, because you were hiding it with your arm. Or um, I don't think that just are throwing that ball up high enough. Um, then, if they don't um, agree, then you've got an issue. Yeah, and it's not an easy issue to uh, to overcome. Um, you know, it's it's probably then about talking to the organisers of the event, um, the organisers of the competition, or whatever it is, and then trying to get uh, an umpire in place that can actually make those calls because it's it's very um, subjective uh, as to how high the ball's going often. You know, I mean, sometimes it's clear, but often it's very subjective about, you know, have they actually thrown it up the, the correct height off their hand? Yeah, yeah. Was it 10 centimetres? Yeah. Was it 15? Was it 20? Yeah, yeah. And exactly. It's really hard to judge that precisely, I guess, is the problem. Yeah. And, and the other, and if you don't know the person you're playing against, it's, it can be really awkward because, um, yeah, you don't know how they're going to react and... Um, they don't know you either then, so it is difficult. That's why, yeah, like, if possible, yeah, talk to them and try and negotiate after the point, like Alice said. And, yeah, maybe the best option is to try and get an umpire to come there if it is a really big problem. Yeah. I think, I think you know, going back a step, it's really important, though, that you know and understand the rules. Mm. Um, so if you know the rules, then you can confidently talk to your opponent about um, what, the, what the situation is. 
if you are unsure of the rules or if they're unsure of the rules, you know, maybe you can just educate them um, as to um, what the rules are. Some players might not know that they need to throw the ball up 15 centimetres before they yep. they serve it or they're not allowed to hide it or whatever it is. Um, so um, so it might, it might just be that, you know. It might be just that you need to explain that rule to them um, and then uh, then they'll be able to adjust or be able to play play the rule properly. Yeah, indeed. All right, so Roy, hopefully um, some of those tips help you out next time you run into this situation. Yeah, and if you're unsure of the rules, we've got a rules video that um, that you can look through um, that uh, that will help to explain the, the rules of table tennis. And then there's also one on serving, um, serving rules, and um, you can go through that and see what's correct and what's not correct with serving. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. So, yeah, at pingskills.com, um, yeah, click on the blog link and select the Ask the Coach uh, podcast, um, and that will take you, uh, yeah, to the page where you can see all the episodes and all the show notes from each of the episodes. And, of course, you can subscribe via iTunes, iTunes or your favourite uh, RSS feed if you've got a different podcast app um yeah but make sure you check out pingskills.com for all our table tennis videos and alloys that wraps up the show well thank you jeff um another interesting show for me um and uh yeah said great to be involved in the australian open um it's really uh, renewed my enthusiasm for international table tennis brilliant yep so yeah and as i said earlier make sure you watch the top players on ittv and you can get there from the ittf website all right thank you everyone thanks for listening uh make sure you visit pingskills.com and we will see you soon bye bye for now <laughs>